Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to your day off, the podcast that shares, loves, and inspires the hair industry. What's up, Tone? That was fun. Oh, that was great, man. How you doing, brother? I'm doing awesome. Hey, so we just talked to Peru Sashar. He'll correct Sarshar. me. In the first, Sarshar. So he'll correct me in the first couple of minutes. But hey, if you don't know who Peru's is, you need to know his journey. He um he's done it all, man. He's done just about everything you can possibly do. Uh, in this, in in our industry, yeah. I mean, he's, I mean, you're right. He he was a hairdresser. He was a distributor. He has been a salon owner. He has been a product uh, developer. Uh, or but I think what he's most or best known for, um, certainly that's consistent through all of it, is that he just does amazing brand management. Yeah, and he has a uh, yeah. You're right. Personal brands. That's what he does. He builds people. He builds people. He builds brands. So. Um, I guess there's no better person to tell you about Peru's than Peru's. Here we go. Welcome to your day off. Today we are going to sit down with Peru's Shazar. Is that how you pronounce it? So after 20 some years of knowing each other, <laughs> you still don't know. I'm kidding. No, 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 not many people know, but it's uh, Sarshar. Sashar. Sashar. So, Peruz, thank you very much for joining your day off. Before we get started, I certainly want to thank uh, Ashley Gray, who owns Ash Salon, who gave us the uh, the back of our salon so we could speak today. And, of course, I'm sitting next to my boy, Tony. What up? Uh, what up? <laughs> hey, so, Peruz, welcome, man. Thanks, thank you. Thanks for, thanks for doing well, the show. But first and foremost, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I, uh, if, if anything, I'm grateful uh, more than anything to be here with my two two of my oldest friends. Uh-huh. Uh, we, As you guys know, we go back a long way. And uh, some crazy days when I was a little bit more wild back then, but uh, <laughs> but it's good. It's uh, you know, it, 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 nothing is more satisfying and fulfilling than to be here with two friends and doing this and just talking some industry talk. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And, and before we get into a lot of that, obviously Corey and I, we we've gotten to see you from when you were young until where you you are now. Your story has been uh, pretty fascinating. You know, it's been a great journey. It has been a great journey. Thank you. So before we get into a lot of that other stuff, let's share your story with everybody else. Sure, let me give you a background. I, um, I was born, believe it or not, of all places in Tehran, Iran, and my family had to escape. Was that and- in like 1978? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, yeah, we can say I was born in 78, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, but, uh, but anyways, my family uh, had to escape uh-huh. uh, because of my father's, you know, job, political ties and whatnot. And, um, you know, uh, it, an, an unfortunate thing happened in that country. I don't know very much about it, mm-hmm. except that it's just a beautiful place with a lot of history. Have you been back? I, I unfortunately cannot go back again mm-hmm. to, because of family uh, issues and whatnot, but... 
uh, political stuff, but um, you know, it's uh, it's just a beautiful place. That, you know, and and what we see of it in the news and media, unfortunately, gets a lot of bad press. Yeah, sure. I I have clients who've been there and they've done tours and they they it's just beautiful. say it, it's, yeah it's they beautiful. just say it's gorgeous. Yeah, they say it, it's beautiful, and. Um, just to give you guys uh, an idea, so I, I came to the United States, you know, my family came here on political asylum, and I was a kid who spoke no English and didn't know much about the political climate. And for our mm-hmm. safety, we were moved to, you know, the government moved us to Washington, D.C. in the beginning in Virginia. So growing up, uh, my first day of school, uh, just a group of kids asked me where I'm from, my sister and I, where we're from, and we got attacked. Mm-hmm. And because Whoa. of the hostages and all this other stuff that we didn't know anything about. So we got attacked. We got beaten up. Wow. And my father, when he first came to the U.S., he couldn't go to work for the government. So his ho- my father is a Hall of Fame martial artist. So he had to go and, you know, he went and started. In, in Iran. Uh, he, worldwide. He's known, oh, really? Yeah, he's known around the world in the martial arts I world. I there was a, uh, a martial arts a hall, of hall of Fame. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, you know, things have changed since now that the UFC and the Octagon and the Barbarians and sure, all the other yeah. stuff. but. But having said that, so, you know, I um, I spent the majority of my life after school. I mean, when the first day we got beat up, my mom was like, you guys are going to learn how to protect yourself. So right. I spent from the age of eight, sorry, excuse me, age of nine to um, 19, I spent every day uh, after school going to karate training. I became a competitor and uh, somehow made it through there. <laughs> and I became an instructor after a while because that's how I... My father wanted me to teach. That's why I love standing in front of people and you know talking and teaching. To this day, I love coaching and teaching, and um, and then and, after, you're, and you're quite good at it. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Great so at it, I should say. Thank you so much. And so and I've had a lot of practice, and you know, but I and I and I like I said, I, I I was taught in a way to deliver results. And so when I come into a salon and teach, whether it's management, whether it's haircutting, whatever it is, blow drying, uh-huh. uh, goal setting, I, I'm after results. You know. Um, but so growing up, you know, I, I get, I was getting into a lot of trouble and my punishment was to go to my mom's salon. My mom had a, few, a couple of, you know, got into the business and, uh, when I would go there, she was like, you know, you're not going to just hang out here and do nothing. You're going to work. So they had me washing hair. I wasn't wrapping perms, but I was rinsing perms and, you know, back, back in the eighties doing all that stuff. Neutralizing. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, so what happened after a while, a couple of guys that were there, you know, the two things she taught. People and my friends all make you know of course have made fun of me all throughout my life growing up because my mom taught me two things hair and how to cook which <laughs> is really funny and so um, you know I my wife's grateful that I can do both those both, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah it's, it's not a bad skill to have right. women but uh, but anyway so I um, I sort of started from there I started cutting hair when I was thirteen fourteen years old I I, I kept up with it. A lot of folks made, uh, you know, again, growing up, I was always told, like, you know, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Uh, this is dumb. This is it. Yeah, I, I got all sorts of stuff. Right. But, uh, and my bu- buddies didn't understand because I was a jock, mm-hmm. but I was a jock who was cutting hair after school. So right. until uh, they realized that, hey, all the cheerleaders are hanging out in his basement because he's giving them, you Whoa. know, beauty advice and, you know, consultations. Is and- that what we're calling it now? Well, whatever, cutting there. I had no clue what I was doing. I was lying to everyone, like, oh, I can do a bob. Oh, I could cut your hair this <laughs> right. way. Or I could, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't um, lying, meaning I, I just wanted to cut people's hair. And so right. I would say anything for them to let me do it. Are you just, you saw it, you did it. You, you might not understood it, but you saw it and you were doing yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> I was doing my best to just right, to make right. it work. And so I grew up in that environment, but through that environment, I got exposed to a lot of different things. I got exposure to a lot of artists at a young age because my mom was very up on things. Uh-huh. She, 
I knew about Tony and Guy in high school, you know, oh, right. or Trevor Sorby back then. And, you know, when my friends were talking about, like, Tony Dorsett, the running back of the Dallas Cowboys, I was like, well, what about Trevor Sorby, the guy who does the wedge, <laughs> you know, the wedge cuts or whatever? And you're like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, um, what is a wedge cut? You know, or uh, what do you mean by that? So became obsessed at a very young age, and I picked up the scissors, and I just couldn't put it down. But I knew then, when I was about 16, 17 years old, I knew I wanted to learn how to make products. And I well, 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 hold on, hold on. Yeah. So what, what, what? How'd you know? Like, what, what was it that what you know, spoke to you? What, what did you see? Well, the funny thing was that I had a. Um, there was a period of. Uh, I, I thought I had dandruff once. I didn't have dandruff. <laughs> I had dry scalp. Right. right. And just like every other schmo out there that thinks they have dandruff, I thought I was like, oh, I have dry scalp. So I was given a shampoo by Redken. It was a dandruff shampoo. Uh And, you know, when I used that shampoo and it made my scalp clear up, I was like, well, wow, if that did that and that smells so good, what else is there? You know, Uh I just started playing with Redken products because that's all there was back then, Redken and Nexus. And I think there was one other brand. I can't remember the name, but... uh, um, Lamar, or what, what are they, like old line, Modafini. I mean, they, they, these were like old lines. And right, I started right. playing with them. And even back then, I felt, I was like, wow, what if you made these better? What if, you know, if you can help somebody with dry scalp, what else can you do? Right. And what if they were shaped differently? What if they smelled differently? What if the packaging was different? I mean, you had all these thoughts at 16? At 16 years old, wow, yeah. And, and people were like, you know, uh, are you crazy? You know, what are you talking about? You know, what the hell is I'm kind of thinking that now. Like, at yeah. 16, why are we thinking about bottle shapes? I, you know, it was just one of those things I was obsessed with then. And, um, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't a, I'm not a trust fund kid. I've always had to do everything on my own. I sure. came, when my family left, uh, you know, and came to the U.S., my parents had to start over twice. You know, they, they, they lost everything. They made it. They lost everything. They made it. Right. So I was exposed to this at a young age. I was exposed to a revolution. I was exposed to haircut. It was just a very strange childhood. And I was in a karate school. And, right. and, I, didn't spe- and I spoke several languages when I came here, but I didn't speak any English. And then so it just it all started to sort of transform and it started uh, coming together. And when I was done with school and it was time to go to college, I knew I also wanted to go to hair school. I wanted to do something. And I'd been doing a bunch of apprenticeships. And. So before all that, I was, um, one day, I was, uh, well, I'll tell you a funny story. When I was um, in the ninth grade, my mom uh, one day was like, hey, we need a perm model. (laughs) And I'm like, what? And they're like, we need a perm model. I'm like, all right, cool. So I showed up, and they did like a spiral perm on me. And I don't know. How long you, was your hair? It was pretty long, but it was. I looked like you know, it was pretty bad. You know, the results were not good. And I went right. to school, and I remember everyone <laughs> laughing at me, making fun of me. You know, they're liking fun of me. <laughs> so I shaved my head and didn't cut my hair for several years. And there was a period when I was uh, really down. I would think I was in, towards uh, my eleventh grade, towards the, at the end of eleventh grade, and I was. I, I wasn't. Sure. I had a little bit of a heartbreak. Didn't know what it was. Right. I was a late bloomer. Didn't know anything. And um, nothing would make me feel good. You know, anyone would talk to me. Nothing was changing. Mm-hmm. So, um, right there was a there was one day where my sister is like, "Oh, you should go get a haircut from somebody other than mom." And I'm like, "Where?" And she's like, "Oh, you should go to this place called Bruno Dassange, and uh, get a haircut there. You'll love the way they work." And I'm like, "Well, where is it?" She's like, "Well, there's one in DC, and one in New York, and you would love it." And so. I was like, okay. So I convinced all my friends. I'm like, hey, let's sneak up. Let's skip school and go to New York. And they're go like, go to New York for the day? For the day. And they're like, are you crazy? And I'm like, no, we'll go. We'll take a train. And they're like, how are we going to do that? I was like, I'll take my mom's credit card. And uh-huh. we'll, we'll buy tickets. And, <laughs> and we did. I got grounded forever. But afterwards, <laughs> but, but we did it. you know. And we ended up going up there. And when I was going up there, uh, um, along the way, I ran into someone at Union Station. 
I didn't even know. I mean, if you even knew how we got ourselves a union station or what we were doing, and and so I ran you, into some. You didn't take an Uber. No, there was no Ubers. You know, there was no <laughs> cell phones. So I uh, so I get to union station. I run into somebody who's an old friend, and out of the blue, he brings a book out of his bag called "Think and Grow Rich," and he gives it to me. And he's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I'm going to New York. And he goes, for what? I'm like, I'm going to go get a haircut. And he starts <laughs> laughing. He goes, do your parents know? And luckily, there were no cell phones. Right. Otherwise, you would have texted my mom, and she would have beat my ass before I even made hey, it to New York. my ass is getting on the train. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so anyway, so I got on the train. I, I went to uh, New York, and I start reading along the way. I start reading this book. And right. I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm just looking at this thing, and I'm obsessed, you know. about. And it was all about thinking big and, you know, the, uh, the law of attraction even back then. And um, so then I went in and then I meet a guy and he uh, and we're sitting there. And at, prior to that, most of the men, I hadn't met any cool macho or guys like us who were in the business. Everybody I've met was just a little different. Mm-hmm. And so I meet these guys. Yeah. And I meet these guys and they're like, uh, so one of them's like, oh, well, this is what we're going to do. And he cut my hair and he and I are still friends mm-hmm. and we actually still work together. Fast forward years later, right? And um, the way I felt after that haircut, and the way I was—it changed my life. That haircut changed my life. It made—it took my heartbreak away. I looked great. I felt great. I walked away feeling like a million dollars. All from a haircut. All from a haircut. I hadn't felt like that in years because you have to understand—I was a child who went through war, right? Essentially. And so and then I got in the U.S. and my family's hiding and we're escaping here. We're escaping. We escaped many different places to get here. Oh, my gosh. And um, so that was the first time. I think there was two, two events in my life as a kid that really changed everything. One was the first time I saw a palm tree in Los Angeles. And, you know, and there was, I, I don't know what it was about a palm tree that just made, my, you know, it made me smile. And then the second time I smiled big back then was this haircut. And so I went to him and I said, listen, um, back then I was teaching karate. I was competing in karate and he wanted to learn karate, this hairstylist. And he was between D.C. and New York. And I was like, look, I'll make a deal with you. And he goes, what? I'm like, I cut hair in my parents' basement. Um, can you come tutor me? And he starts laughing. He goes, well, why don't you just come help out at the shop? And I said, I will. And I'm like, well, what do you want for it? Because, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a, a lot of you know, access so you to a lot of... you paid him to work at the shop. Well, I didn't have access to a lot of... He goes, well, what... That guy's a genius, Well, he Well, he's like, well, let's do this. I said, what? He goes, let's exchange services. I'm like, what What do you mean? He goes, you teach me karate. Mm -hmm. I want to learn how to defend myself. And I'll teach you how to cut hair. And it started right there and then. And then our relationship didn't stop. We became friends, and I was I wasn't going to go to anyone else to cut my hair. Sure. And uh, and I was that's where it all began. And when it began, and I uh, was done with everything, and it was time to go to school, I didn't know which direction to go to. And um, I, I, I was cutting hair. I wanted to learn the product business. There was a lot of different things I wanted to do. I didn't. A lot of my friends who were you know uh, even later on in life who had access to creating their own businesses, you know, had to support you know, family support and all this other stuff. But like I said, I wasn't a I wasn't a trust fund kid. I was one of those people that always did everything myself. You had to work. I had to work, and I still do. And um, I, I don't know any other way. And so um, I ended up in um, hair school. And when I ended up in hair school, I ended up at Graham Webb, where we all met. Sure. And um, when I was there, the people that were running Graham Webb, they realized, they're like, oh, this guy can cut hair, you know, and he knows a little bit more than everyone else. And he can sell, and he understands color, mm-hmm. you know, which is very unusual for students. So the owner of the school at that t- point, or the woman who was running, is like, we're just going to stick you on the floor, and this is where you're going to be. And if you come here and work your butt off and work hard, 
um, then I'll get you out of here in six months, seven months. I think I have the record for getting out of, wow. you know, out of school. And she gave me my 1,500 hours. I don't even know if it was legal. I, that, that sounds shady. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I would say 100% shady. But she worked the hell out of me and a few other guys. Mm-hmm. And we actually got the school written up in Vogue magazine because we were using those color guns with the Fermisi color right, and so right, on right. and so forth. I forgot and, about those. Yeah, yeah, and, right. and, and we created a nice business for them there. Sure. And um, so from there, I knew I was like, look, if I'm going to get good at this, I'm going to I said in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to have to learn so many different aspects of this. And I don't know if it was a good thing for me to plan out my life like that or if it was a bad thing, bad thing. because Well, good and bad. You know, the the if there was a if there was a negative. Well, it, I, I set a life for myself that took me around the world, took me to many different places, gave me right. a lot of opportunities. But unlike a lot of my other friends, I didn't have the opportunity to settle down. I didn't have an opportunity to start a family. Right. I didn't have the because I was always on, always on the road and I was working. And I'm like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? What's the next thing? How can I get better and bigger and that sort of stuff? And a lot of my other buddies who got into the business, you know, established themselves, got mm-hmm. a clientele, bought a house, you know, created a little net worth for them, so whatever you want to call it for themselves, built a life. And so, but I was the guy who was like, okay, now I've done this, I'm going to go to the next thing. And so the next thing, you know, I started working at this. Um, the people from Desange had this European Express salon concept, so they hire me right, to right, run right. one of them, uh, to work in one. Then I end up running one. Then I hired all our buddies, if you remember. <laughs> and then without licenses, I was like, oh, you guys so, should go so, on the floor and cut so, hair. So yeah, we're so in school. <laughs> <laughs> so slow down just a little bit. Sure. So um, how old were you at this? I mean, you're managing a salon at what age? I was 20 years old. Uh-huh. And uh, I just turned, actually, no, I was 19 years old. And uh, 19 and a half years old, I was managing a salon. By the time I was 20... 19? By the time I was 20, I was managing the whole chain. Wow. And I was running an entire chain. And it was cool. And I was very excited about it. Did it feel overwhelming at all? It it didn't feel... It did and it didn't. I was just... Uh, psyched about it. Uh, I, it, it, you know, it didn't overwhelm me. What it did was it, 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 well, it taught me a lot, but I didn't know what I was doing because right. I was just hiring my friends and <laughs> I was trying to work in an environment. I realized right there and then that the beauty industry, especially salons, lacks structure. There was no structure. And I was going to school and I was studying, you know, I was right. reading and anything I can get my hands on business wise, I was re- studying and reading, you know, so right. that's when I realized I'm like, wow, there's a problem in this business. Yes. A very mature 20-year-old. Yeah, and I think the maturity part came... I was mature and I was immature. Just like most men, until I hit the age of 40, I had no idea what the hell is going on in the world. <laughs> but, right? but, but you've been through so much more than than the average 20-year-old. Yeah. You know? and so I think it just, I guess, maybe pushed you to, to want and desire a lot more than the average yeah. 19, 20-year-old. Isn't, yeah. isn't, isn't that what a lot of people talk about about the immigrant story as well? Coming in, I, I am your. Is that typ- fair? Yeah, I, mean, I, I fair? would say it's very fair, and uh-huh. I am your typical. You know, even though I was a kid, immigrant story, and I wasn't. You know, if if my if those things hadn't happened in that country, my life would have been different. I would have ended up in England, going to boarding school, then to Switzerland, the boarding school, then the U.S., going to college, and then back to Iran. Right. And uh, but that didn't happen for me. You know, I just I had to. I got. I was a child who was stuck in a war. You know, like a, a basically a war, and I had to do the best I could with uh, what I have you know, available or access to. Right. So that, that's, that, was, that was the beginning. And then, you know, I was, so I was running these salons, not knowing what I was doing, realized there's no structure. And then from there, I went to these guys and said, hey, I want to move to New York. And they're like, you're so young. I'm like, I want to move to New York. I want to work in a 
in the top salon. Right. So then I now, did. Now we're at, we're at 20 now, right? Uh, Essentially. Uh, 21. Right. You know, getting to 21. And they're like, well, what about these places? We want to open more for you. And I realized, I'm like, ah, it's fun. It was fun managing these salons. This was exciting, this chain salon business. I'm, <laughs> I'm out. See you. Peace. <laughs> right. I want to move on. So I did. I moved on, and I started working in a salon, a very you know high grade salon. Immediately, I had to take up my haircutting level to, I mean, my haircutting skill, excuse me, to a different level. Sure. Be, to be able to charge what I wanted to charge, to be able to survive, to be able to, to be able to eat, because every time I make these moves, uh, most people around me, especially my support system, would bail on me or would say like, "You're crazy," or "You should stay here. Be happy right. you have this. <laughs> right. and don't move on any further." And then I, I just never listened. I was like, "No, my heart's telling me to do this, and this is what I'm doing." So I did that, and then from there, I got into um, you know a little bit of session work. Never done mm-hmm. it before. Was okay at it. I wasn't the best session artist. I'm. A, right. I think my strength is in haircutting because I love hair. Like I love watching Tony work. Like right. when I watch you work, I, I think the color is beautiful. But I'm not a colorist. Right. right, right but right. I see haircuts. You know what mm-hmm. I mean. And so I totally I, get that. Actually. You know. So I, I started. You know. I, I fell in love with the concept of cutting hair, and I was like, well, how do I just do great haircuts? How do I take it to the next level? What can I do? That sort of thing. So I started working there, and then from there, I. Um, I did a complete opposite. I had an opportunity to stay in New York, right. and uh, there was a there was a couple of big names about to open salons, and my friends were like, "Hey, if you do this, you can become a multimillionaire by being a hairstylist." I decided to do something crazy. I decided to go work for a distributor in Charlotte, North Carolina, and people whoa, were like, "Whoa, whoa, you, whoa, are, are whoa, whoa. Like, Charlotte!" Yeah, from New York City to Charlotte, North Carolina, ended up in Richmond, and you know, and, and it was so funny because I walk into this place. I'm sure it was a different Charlotte back then than it is today. Oh yeah, there was no downtown. <laughs> None of the banking systems. Oh or anything like that no, there. no, no, it's not no. as cool as it looks now. But so I walk into this office with these Southern guys, and they, you know, big dudes, and they're looking at my little skinny tail, and um, so they're looking at my skinny tail, and they're like. Um, Boy, you need to eat. You know what, what's your name? You know, so they they couldn't pronounce my name, so they called me Bubba, and uh, so I became Bubba, the young sales guy from DC. So what was happening then was that um, I was there was a lot. You know, right now in the beauty industry, unfortunately, things have changed. Where, as you know, Tony, there aren't that many distributors left. Right, and you know, it's like a couple of big guys and some small guys. But back then, there was about five hundred families or so that rent that had all these really cool distributor businesses. Wow. And there was a BBSI, and there was a body, and there was a lobbying body, and all that other stuff. But so um, right away, these guys were like, "We're going to put you out in the DC market. We think you'll be great because you're the first sales consultant we've hired that's a hairdresser. So that gives us an advantage." And I was like, "Listen, I'll do whatever. I just want to learn. I want right. to learn." And, there, and so I just want to learn how to sell. I want to learn how distribution works. So I went out my first couple of weeks, and I was so excited. And uh, and it was awful for me because after a couple of weeks, I realized I'm like, okay, I'm going to go broke because no one's buying anything from me. <laughs> uh, all the big distributors um, were, you know, they for whatever I tried to do, all these big distributors would come in and be like, oh, we'll give you a rack. We'll do, we'll do this. We'll give you that. And you, screw this guy. <laughs> so I changed my uh, strategy a little bit. I was like, okay, well, you know, these guys are walking around in suits. They're older guys or older women. And um, so my advantage is that I'm a hair, hair, hairdresser. I speak their lingo, right. and, I, and I have to stand out. So I bought myself some rollerblades and had no idea how to rollerblade. And I started rollerblading around D.C. 
Uh, and so I was the guy on the rollerblades that would show up and sell stuff. Oh, I that mean, dude. Some guy actually has a picture. I, I ran into him in the airport. He's like, I got a picture of you holding onto the back of a bus with your distributor <laughs> bags and shampoos <laughs> flying out or whatever. Hey, so well, well, we need that picture, bro. Yeah, what do we get? Yeah. So any, no, but I have to. I, I actually got his number, and he's gonna. I'm gonna contact him. But the stay thing, tuned to Instagram, right? So so <laughs> what happened was I realized real quickly when I was out there selling. I'm like, okay, I can't compete against these people. And these people that I'm working with are really big in uh, in the South, but they're trying to get into the Mid-Atlantic. And they've thrown me, 22-year-old, 20th, whatever I was, me into this mix. So, you keep finding yourself in these situations. Yeah, quite a bit. So <laughs> so, uh, I, uh, so I said, like, okay, well, what am I going to do? So I'm going to learn the salon business. So I started you know, reading. I went back to reading old materials. I went mm-hmm. back to a lot of inspirational, motivational books that I read in the past. And I'm like, what if I bring some of this stuff into the salon business? I don't and what, I, what some of my experiences are. Mm-hmm. And I started uh, you know, picking certain clients that I would work with, salons, and I had about 22 accounts. Most of my uh, counterparts had five, 600 accounts. I had 22, about 22, 23 accounts. Right. But I started feeding these people information. I started training them a certain way. They started letting me work with their hairdressers because they realized I have skills. Right. And um, I was doing the same number uh, in terms of sales out of 23 salons and most of the guys I was working with at 500 salons. Wow. And Bravo, so, sir. Yeah, that's so, impressive. Yeah, yeah, so the reason, and, and it really helped. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't, it wasn't gang, gang, buster, gang I wasn't going gangbusters, but it was, it was good for me, you know what I mean, for where I was. Right. And I had, like, literally, when I say competitors, when I'd go into a salon, I had, like, eight other salespeople on my tail with more to give, with more incentives, with spiffs, things I didn't have, you know. Right. So I've always been, you know, kind of used to working with one arm tied, Mm-hmm. And I'm good at it. You know, that's why I can go into these distressed situations now, which we'll get into uh, shortly, into companies and help out the way I can help out, you know, and, and so on and so forth. But, but yeah, so that's, so I did that. And then the owner of the distributor came to me one day, or one of the guys that I'm actually really good friends with now on mm-hmm. Facebook, because we haven't <laughs> seen each other in years. Nobody's Facebook Yeah. Friends. And no, he came to me and he's like, listen, Peruse, I want to have a talk with you. And he's like, what? I'm like, I just think it's a shame if you don't go out and do something on your own. And if you keep doing this, we love having you. But if I can give you any piece of advice, go out there and do something, man, because you got you you you, you see different than everyone else. Because you, I mean, you grew up as the underdog. I mean, every t- every situation you were in, it seems like you were an underdog, and you were able to just take that and uh, use that to your advantage to just your drive to yeah. to make sure you right. didn't uh, f- you know f- just quit or just you know you know it's too hard. I'm going to go ahead and do something a little bit easier. You know, and which a lot of people nowadays seem to have that kind of, you know what I mean? Well, let me take a different path because that path looks like there's a little bit of a roadblock. Yeah. You know what I mean? So when you pe- when you when you grow up, you know, seeing, um, you know, uh, waking up one day and you walk on the streets and everybody in your neighborhood has guns. And, you know, when you wake up with like in the middle of the night as a kid, and you see bombs traveling back and forth and people shooting each other, you know. You kind of learn, you grow up really fast. You right. Know? And I hear people all the time here like, oh, go in there and nuke them or bomb them. And I'm always like, dude, have you ever heard a bomb explode? Have you ever heard a damn gun shut, shut off? It's it's pretty scary. And it's yeah. not, there's nothing cool about it. Right. So, um, especially from a kid's perspective. From I mean, a kid's when you guys were leaving. Exactly. So, so yeah, I mean, you're right. I was, you know, the underdog thing started at a really young age. And I kind of used it to motivate and inspire myself, and I still do. Because in a lot of ways, when I walk into a situation, even though I go in and I know people, and they're like, hey, hey Peru, you know, I'm still an underdog, because I go in with a bigger idea every time, or I, I go in challenging more every time. That's I, a, I mean, if I can just interject here, I mean, 
you know, over the years when we speak, I mean, that's that's where the conversation's always gone, right? Like we go in for one thing, and 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 you're always pushing, you're always trying to grow the conversation or to 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 grow the industry. Yeah, I mean, so that's, yeah, that's that's always been you know like a quest, and so then from there. When I left the distributorship, I um, had this crazy idea. And I was like, you know, I'm going to start a magazine, a beauty magazine. And being the fool that I am, I didn't know anything about trademarks. I did, but I did a horrible job doing the trademark. Mm -hmm. And I cr launched a concept, which someone else has taken and is running with now, called Beauty Coach. But I, was, I, have, I have all the proof. I was the first beauty coach guy. Uh -huh. So I would read magazines back then. I realized, I'm like, no one's talking about hair or beauty in these magazines. It's all fashion. Now right. there's like beauty supplements and beauty 101 and <laughs> in style beauty and new beauty and whatever. And so I decided to, I was like, okay, if I'm going to, and I went to my, a group of my friends. I'm like, hey, guys, I have an idea. And they're like, oh, shit, now what does he want to do? <laughs> and uh, I was like, hey, let's launch. Yeah, I'm like, let's launch a magazine. And they're like, are you out of your mind? We don't have this. We don't have that. I'm like, we have the internet, and uh, one of my buddies... Oh, so this was later on. This wasn't, like, pre-internet. No, this, this is, like... Well, early on, though, right? Yeah, like, early, early on. Internet, early, right, right, it, right. it was kind of early on. And they're like, how the hell are we going to do it on the internet? And I was like, it's this, there's this thing coming out called the internet. We can do it on there. And one or two, three guys knew about it. Uh -huh. And I'm like, listen... And they're like... And I said, look, all we can do is practice, print it, put it out. Anyways, so we, I got... I went to all my friends, hairdressers, estheticians, everyone, and back then when nobody knew what the hell content was and I got everybody to start writing content. I'm like, write me about this. What's facial? How do I take a bath? How do you do this? How do you, it's all about these how-tos in beauty. Right. And then, um, so right, and around the same time, I launched another concept called Do Your Hair. And Do Your Hair was, because again, I was young, a lot of energy, and Do Your Hair was very similar to Beauty Coach, but Do Your Hair was, I would have blow-drying classes, because as you know, most stylists are pretty weak in that area. Yeah. So I would train stylists, or I would train consumers, but when I would train the consumers, I had these private label products that I made called Do Your Hair products. Again, no patent, no trade. I mean, it was like, whatever. It was like, mm -hmm. I might as well be selling this stuff from the back of my trunk or whatever, mm -hmm. or off my skateboard. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, roller rollerblades. Rollerblades, exactly. <laughs> but anyways, I was uh, people would come in. They learned how to blow dry hair, and then I would sell them these kits, these do your hair kits. So that started, and it was garnering a lot of attention. But I didn't have the resources to keep these things going back then. I didn't know how to. You know, I didn't know how to quite. By resources, money. you mean money? Money, and some, and sometimes you know, money isn't everything. Contacts, connections. Uh -huh. Um, just knowing what the hell I'm doing. And just, you know, you're there, you're this one guy, you have an idea, and a bunch of people are standing around, they're like, okay, what is he going to do next, you know? Right. And so there wasn't, I didn't have those thought partners that are available nowadays because mm -hmm. so much more has happened. So I, um, I ended up, I, a guy approaches me and says, hey, I have an idea. And I'm like, what's your idea? And he goes, well, uh, why isn't there, other than Johnson & Johnson's baby shampoo, why isn't there anything else out there? And I'm like, I don't know, how the hell do I know? I don't know, whatever. So he's like, can I hire you to, you know, give me, consult me? So I was like, okay. The guy hires me. Next thing you know, we're flying all over the country as I'm doing this other stuff. No clue what was about to happen to my, to my life. We're flying around the country, and uh, I end up at a lab in Minnesota called Tyro Industries. It mm -hmm. doesn't exist any longer. Bob Waugh and Wally, I can't remember Wally's last Aren't name. Aren't most of the products made in Minnesota? They Weren't used a to be. used there? to be the hair care capital of the world. So right. I, I go to Minnesota. I see Aveda. I see you know, all this. And you know, see all these beautiful products being made. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, what a great opportunity. So we sure. go into this place. And so the guy, the gentleman challenges me. He's like, look, you know, Johnson & Johnson has a pH of 14. It's like Novocaine. And blah, 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 blah. I challenge you to make a, a, a neutral, a set pH 7 uh, tear-free shampoo. I'm like, huh? 
And he's like, I want you to make a pH 7 tear-free shampoo. I had no idea about formula. I didn't know anything about product development. I didn't know anything about product formulation. So was this guy that was asking you to do this, was was he in the industry? No, he wasn't in the industry. He came from a tech industry, uh-huh. and he was just this crazy entrepreneur. Best salesman I've ever met in my life. Wow. And cra- entrepreneur meaning risk. The guy had balls. I yeah. mean, he would take risks like you wouldn't believe. Uh, but he ta- I learned a lot. And so we created a company called Jungle Care. And Jungle yeah, yeah. Yep, I know it. Yeah, you guys remember Jungle Care? Sure, so, absolutely. So, and then he comes to me and goes, and I want to, and I thought we were going to sell this stuff. Right, in by the, the way, super. I think my kids grew up on Jungle Care. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, so I, it's funny. So he came to me because I want to sell this stuff in salons, and I'm like, huh? And he's like, make me a famous product brand that's for kids in salons. I'm like, how the hell am I going to do that? No, I can't. Can't even get stylists to sell a regular shampoo, let alone a shampoo to a, a mom for their kid. You know. So it was. Um, an incredible experience. It turned into several product lines for teens, tweens. I got to learn everything about every sort of market you can imagine. I traveled 47 states talking to families, kids, launching it. I turned it into a haircutting concept, took it, turned it into a photo shoot concept. Wow. It became so interesting and unique that we were asked to go to different countries around, I don't know how many up, up teen countries we mm-hmm. went to around the world. And it was just, it was, it was unique, but it was wearing me out because the guy I worked with was just so crazy. He would just take more risk and more risk and more right. risk. So you never know when money was there, money wasn't there. So I, um, you know, as this happened, I, I, one day I'm at a um, hair show in Pennsylvania. Uh, God, it was some weird ski resort in Pennsylvania. It was a Davidson hair show. Mm-hmm. And probably one of the uh, cheesiest hair shows I've, uh, to date, you know, <laughs> at this mountain lodge. <laughs> People are drunk and, you know, walking around drinking during the show and all this other stuff. And so the Altieri brothers were there, you know, the famous Altieri brothers. Yep. So the Altieri brothers approached me and they're mm-hmm. like... Did, did they approach you dancing? Well, they, I, I, I was always fascinated <laughs> by the Alt, you know, by Tony yeah. and Ricardo. Uh-huh. And so they came to the booth and I'm like, holy shit, it's the Altieri brothers, you know, and I always <laughs> knew about them. Right. And, and they're like, we're we're blown away by this thing. And I'm like, by this kid's by line? The jungle line? Yeah. And they're like, yeah, how the hell did you come up with this idea? And I'm like... Well, that guy over there, he's crazy. You know, he got me to do this and this and this and this. And so right away, I became friends with the Altieri's. And through the Altieri's, I met my uh, one of my thought partners now who lives in Australia. His name is Daniel Teneglia, incredible hairstylist. And, uh, and at that point, he was traveling with a uh, guy named Angus Mitchell from Paul Mitchell. Right, right, so right. Angus, Daniel, and I just became buddies. And we every show we were at, we'd always be together. We would always talk. And so then, you weren't working together at this point. You would just get together. And, um, yeah, we just, were just at shows, and you know, I was creating a friendship. I, yeah, creating friend. They were wild. I was crazy. They were wild. I wasn't as wild as them. I wish I was, but I just didn't have the balls <laughs> to do some of the things that those guys were doing. And they were like superstars because at the end of every show, there was like women lined up, and you know all that. No, sort I of totally stuff. remember them. Yeah, and, you know, at the at the shows and 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 how they were the must-sees. Right. So then I um, so then Daniel, my friend, comes along and says, hey, my family wants to sell this stuff in Australia and uh, it wants to launch a kids line in Australia. Would you be willing to do it? And uh, we also want to do the photography campaigns in Australia because I was doing a lot of photo- I was producing a lot of photo shoots and I right. became known as a guy who if you pay him X. He's going to deliver you like 10 times. Right. And so photographers wanted to work with me. But there was one guy in particular I stuck to and we're still friends, even though he's become famous and I'm not. He still works with me. Like I'm lucky <laughs> enough. But uh, but anyway, so we ended up, uh, you know, in Australia. And when we ended up in Australia, we were supposed to go there for two weeks. And I was like, well, this place is great. I'm going to stay longer. So I st- ended up staying a lot longer. And in Australia, I discovered a lot about hair 
salons, um, haircutting. You know, the shows were the shows we were doing in Australia when we were doing platform work, and you know, throughout this time, I'd become a platform artist. And um, when we were doing a lot of the platform work in Australia, what was happening was that uh, their hair shows are open to consumers. So we were dealing with consumers and uh, professionals in, oh, in, wow. in these shows. It's crowded enough with just all the hairdressers all in the these hairdressers. shows, right? Yeah. I can't and, imagine and consumers. It, and it was so cool, you know, and it was just such a different place. And everybody had such an open mind, and no idea was a bad idea. And every day was a good day, mate. You know, like every day was just good, good day, day, mate. Yeah, good day. And there was no worries and, you know, whatever. And it was really cool. And then the other part that made me stay uh, that I liked about it, too, is they think, our, you know, they, they, I went to a store one day and I was trying to buy a shirt. And uh, one of the first few days I was there and these girls were like, hey, is your accent real? And I'm like, well, and I'm in like, Australia. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, yeah, you're a real American. And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, <laughs> the next, I'm like, well, this isn't so bad. You know, even the girls like it here. They like our accent here. So I was like, oh, I should hang around here for a little while. <laughs> so uh, so I did. How, how long did you end up staying? Quite a while, you know, months and months and mm -hmm. months. And um, so I stayed for quite. So then, it, then there came time, and they were like, you know, listen, uh, uh, the guys from the U.S. called me, and they're like, we want you to come back to the United States. We need your help, mm -hmm. and because we want to move from the salon business into the into Nordstroms. I'm like, what are you talking about? We built all these distributors. He's like, it doesn't. I mean, he was crazy. He's like, we're gonna go to the Nordstrom. This is the Jungle Care guy yeah. still. Can you come back? So I hadn't collected a salary in a while because the Australians were paying me. He owed me a bunch of money. So he was like, hey, get some. I was like, listen, before I come back, I don't know how many times I'm going to be in this part of the world. I think I'm going to go to Bali. And he's like, are you crazy? We need you back. <laughs> You're supposed to be there for two weeks. It's like two years. You know, what the hell is wrong with So I was like, come on, man. Let me just go to Bali first, and then I'll see you in a right. couple of weeks. And he's like, okay. And I was like, you owe me some money. And so he's like, go and get the money from the Australian guys. Uh, that this I sounds so shady. No, Bruce. so listen. So no, listen. <laughs> so I'm listening. So, so anyway, so I end up from Australia in Bali, and when I went to the Australian distributor, whose my, whose father uh, is one of his, well, he was uh, my one of my best friends' dads. You know, at that point, Daniel and I were working very close. Uh -huh. He's like, look, uh, we owe you guys like sixty some thousand dollars U.S. I was like, I'll take it. He's like, really? I'm like, yeah, I'll take it all in cash. So I get this cash. I go to Bali. Oh, that's my, dangerous. My first day in Bali, I'm exchanging currency. And I needed a break from haircutting, from hair, from everything. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what I was going to do. And I didn't want to go back and do a kid's thing again in the U.S. But I was interested in learning the prestige market, the Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus, that all, all that sort of stuff. So I, my first day in Bali, I exchanged 400 Australian dollars, and I get 3 million rupees, you know, Indonesian money. You're and a millionaire. I, I was like, holy crap, I'm a millionaire. <laughs> uh, six months, you know, I, I was like, I'm staying. I ended up staying there for quite a while and until my money ran out. And, but when I was there, the thing that I was exposed to constantly where I was always at these beautiful resorts and right. there was always these uh, wealthy couples on honeymoons. Every time I would sit with them or sit next to some of them, there was always a woman yelling at the guy about his grooming. Look at your feet. They're disgusting. Look at Aww. your hand. Clean your ears, your nose hair. So after a while, I'm like, huh, maybe there's something here. Right. And I started you know, looking into it, looking into it, looking into it. As I was sitting there, I went through my backpack that I'd been traveling with for a while, and I had the first Bliss catalog with one of the first Bliss catalogs with me. So I was like, well, how can I create Bliss for men? Where I knew right away that you know, what men know is through a father figure, or what men know is through what their girlfriend bought them or what their wife bought them. You know? So it's usually Gillette or the Clinique soap that the wife brought right. home from Bloomingdale's that he doesn't know what the hell to do with. Sure. So I was like, if I take everything I know from the women's world and instill it into the men's world, Maybe I'm on to something. 
And uh, I came back to the U.S. I had uh, I, I started working, went back, learned the prestige market, learned that whole thing at, at the previous job. But he knew what I was doing, and he was kind enough to allow me to go after my dream, and that was to create a portal for men where men could come and learn uh, about grooming and then purchase products every time they, they were educated. So I sure. started a, a concept called the Grooming Lounge. Sure. And when the Grooming Lounge started, it was just a website. And this is like 1998, Just the website. Just the website. I thought the um, I thought the salon preceded the, that came. Uh, the that website. came. No, that came later. And okay. so we started the website. Oh, I started the website, and um, it was cool. It was uh, unique. It was different. Nobody would. O- nobody was ordering anything. It was amazing. I mean, I don't know how many people like outside of DC know how huge that impact was and how how it literally changed the marketplace. For, it changed for the way men care. groom. You know, it changed it changed the men's grooming market and the way men groom and. You know, we were pioneers, essentially. 100%. You know, and so we, um, so anyways, I, I started putting it, uh, back then there was no men's products. Nobody would give me anything to sell. I had a bunch of like five or six items, a hand cream by like right. heavy duty, you know, some brand that used to exist. <laughs> this girl, Alex, used to own it. There's a few, few folks that gave me some products and then I put it up and nothing was happening. And so I then I uh, this uh, distributorship that I worked with called Davidson's Mm -hmm. and uh, I knew the family, wonderful family and then their son. And I decided to that's Michael Gelman. Yeah, Michael Mm -hmm. and I decided to go into business together and to start. So at this point, was the website called Grooming Lounge? It was Grooming Lounge. So Michael and I started working on the website together. Michael and I decided to open stores together. And uh, to really expand expand the concept together and see what we could do, you know, build a grooming empire as we used to call mm, it. Sure. And so we, um, you know, we knew right away we're like, okay, well, there's no men's products. We have to go out and find it, or we have to create it. Mm-hmm. The second thing we knew was that uh, if we open a store, we would get a lot of press and PR by creating this cool environment. But we didn't know anything. I didn't know anything about shaving, you know. So I knew shaving was going to be sort of a big hey, deal. Peru's. Neither do I. I know. I, I could. <laughs> I can see. I can see. <laughs> so what we did was we said, let's go out and find a perfect shave. And we did. We went out looking for the perfect shave, looking for the guy who could teach us the, the perfect shave, looking for someone that could help us. You know, how, how do you make this pain It's free? so incredibly interesting to me because where we are now is that's all we're seeing, right? There's so many barbering techniques. If you go on Instagram, there's so many barbers. There's um, there's this guy, A-Rod, who's a barber who just went over a million um, followers right. then, on Instagram. Well, this is amazing. Philip Wolf, my partner, my, you know, uh, business partner, he always, uh, he brings up A-Rod all the time. I don't say anything, but deep in my heart, I'm like, you know, guys like A-Rod, I'm, I'm excited to see guys from A-Rod because that work that Michael and I did sure. allowed for guys like A-Rod to have a million followers. They would know, they, A-Rod wouldn't know us from Apple, right? right. But we did it, you know, and th- right. there was a reason Artist Shave popped up and opened right across the street from us, you know. I mean, it's, it, it's just, it's remarkable. It's yeah. remarkable where, where in the last, you know, I don't know, what, 12, 15 years, how yeah, that market's that, completely changed. Yeah, it right. allowed men... You know, traditionally, you know, they just go to a barber shop, right? And and a salon was d- kind of a, a woman's thing, right? So it allowed sure. men to become more comfortable with being uh, pampered and groomed, and you know what I mean, to have exposure to just not a traditional, you know what I mean, cut and dry barber shop. Yeah, and, and and the idea was to create. You know, <laughs> or cut non dry barber well, I mean, shop. So yeah. what we did, was, <laughs> so what we did was a little different. So when we opened the stores, we set out to find a perfect shave. I couldn't. Uh, we traveled. We went to London. We got. We went to this basement. That, the, the Kingsman. The King. You know, the Knightsbridge. I mean, you name it. All these like fancy, fancy places. And every time the two of us would come out, we our face hurt like hell. 
until one day I discovered a guy in New Orleans, and or Michael did actually, and we found the guy in New Orleans named Aiden Gill. Flew down there, and he goes, "Well, I'm going to teach you how to shave with a Mach 3." I'm like, "Are you kidding me?" He goes, "Yeah, if you buy a, you know, if you buy a computer, do you buy?" So you're saying that like where you went to the other places, they were doing straight razor shaves. Straight razor shaves. Okay. So this guy is like, "Let me teach you how to do this with a Mach 3," and I'm like, "Why would I use a Mach 3?" And he's like. If you bought a computer today, are you going to use Windows 94 or Windows 2000 or whatever? And I'm, right. like, and I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. So he's like, let's blend. I'm going to teach you how to blend ter- technology and tradition. So he taught, Aiden Gill taught me, I call him Yoda. Yoda. Uh, yeah, he taught me how to Yoda shave. Yoda Gill. Yoda Gill. And I told him, and it's funny, I told him, I was like, look, if you're cool, unless you want to do this together, I'm going to take this and I'm going to run with it. And I'm going to mm-hmm. do some crazy stuff. And he was fine with it. Later on, he got pissed off, but he was re- he was he agreed to it because I was like, "Let you should you know I want to I'm a fair person. I want to make sure you know you're taken care of." But anyways, so fast forward, we do, we do that, and then we we're about to open the stores. Before we open the stores, and once I'd learned to shave, um, we wanted to go out and hire barbers. When we went out and saw the quality of the barbers that were out there in terms of education, great people, mm-hmm. but just they weren't up to par. I'm like, I can't charge 50, 60 bucks with this haircut. No, so. I went to back to my old alma mater, Graham Webb, and mm-hmm. I spoke to Mayor Rest in Peace, Christine Gordon. Mm-hmm. And I was like, look, I'm doing this. And she's like, you're kidding me. I'm like, I have this idea. I'm doing this. And what I want are students that I can take. And she's like, well, they have no barbering experience. I'm like, no, I don't want them to have barbering experience. I want them to have hairdressing experience. I'll, te- I'll take them from the hairdressing experience. I'll teach them retail, how to sell products, how to do, uh, give them product knowledge. And then from there, we'll turn them into... Uh, uh, groomers, not barbers. Right. People who work with their scissors, and then when need be, they'll whip out their clippers and have the barbering skills. So it's easier to take a hairstylist and teach them how to taper than it is to take a barber and teach them how to do scissors. Sorry, texturizing or whatever. Right. You know, as you know this. So, um, so we started then, and so three months before, four, actually three months before we opened the gr- first grooming line location, I rented a salon. And gave away free service, and I trained people every day, and gave away free services, so that the day we opened Grooming Lounge, it was on autopilot. That's genius. And so we walked. So did in. you? So go ahead. So you did free services in the salon. Did you pay the salon? We paid how, the salon. How did that work out? I so mean, it was a buddy of mine's salon. He had one. You know, he was working in a chair. Uh, we paid him rent for his upstairs space, and the people mm-hmm. that would come, and we had to pay the people obviously who were working with us. We we're paying them like four hundred bucks a week or something like that. Right. And every time construction would delay, of course, we were like, "Oh my god, we're losing more money." You know, we <laughs> need to get in there. The uh, stresses of opening a business. Yeah, yeah exactly. So then, you know, we uh, went ahead and finally opened. Went in there. Everything was great. Went on autopilot. The first day we opened, um, several things happened at the grooming lounge. Okay, so the first day we opened, we were on the front cover of the Washington Post. The first day, the first day we opened, we were on the front cover. Of the, we, were, we were on the first page of the Washington Post as two guys wow. who were going to change the way men take care of themselves. And then that opened the door for the next eleven years. Every week, about four to five times a week, I was in. We were in the media, from Wall Street Journal to Newsweek to I mean every everything. And, and were they seeking you out at that point, or were yeah, you or were you definitely. active? Well, we were active too. We would come up with crazy ideas and funny right. things, or we would we were we're, we're we're both you know one of the things that where we clicked the two of us was that we were both really into stunt PR, right? And so we would do, come up with crazy so ideas. So you guys were like pre-content before content was content. We were all over content, you know. So right. so and so That's genius. So what we started to do was uh, slowly, you know, um, our our t- we took our team first, and we were the f- our. For, you know, we were at one point doing, I don't know what's going on with that business because I haven't been involved, but at one point in our smallest location, we were doing in D.C. on L Street, 10,000 haircuts and shaves a year. 
10,000. Wow. That's a lot. That's incredible. And not only that, but every single person that would come in, our retail was at about 40%. Whoa, 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 whoa. 40% of 10,000 haircuts? 40 to 45% retail. And you know we had we so were what so hold on we no we can't we can't breeze over that we got to get into that brother, sure. <laughs> um, so what were you teaching what were you training how how were you at forty percent retail and I also kind of wanted to to go back to what you were saying before so you taught retail first before you you taught the first fade so kind of let's break that down a little bit how how what why well I did that because I felt that you know earlier today when we were uh, in this class that you guys witnessed uh-huh. that we we did a consultation with uh, one of Ashley's stylists when we did that consultation if you remember the first thing we did was we dove into retail I mean we dove into the consultation and talking about products and recommending the products right. and prescribing products I mean kind of kind of you you prescribed it before you even talked about haircut or, or stuff exactly so we did it we did it beforehand and uh, so that's what I started teaching. I started teaching people how to analyze scalps, how to diagnose it. And then sure. everybody back then had a sink at their, uh, de- uh, you know, in their station. Like the old barbershop. Right. And so then we taught them how to read records like a doctor. So essentially it was like going to a doctor's office where you bring out a record, you would go over the, uh, you know, the males, uh, you know, or the, whoever the male client was, you know, grooming habits, the products they purchased, what they had bought before where they're missing stuff, uh, just notes. I taught, the first thing I taught everyone is how to take good notes. And men were kind of uh, kind of new at this experience, right? So yeah, they I were mean, well, open, I, like an open book. Like they, they would just absorb whatever you guys were, because they're going from a barbershop now to went, a groomer. I mean, it was funny. We were taking people who were paying $10 a ticket to $130 a ticket. Right. And people oh. would, and I would tell the stylist, I'm like, hey, if they don't come here and they don't spend this money, they're going to go buy beer. They're going to go to the strip joint. They're going to go somewhere. Right. So, but you're actually doing them a service by helping them out and and, and doing this. I bet their wives loved it too. Oh, right? I mean, the, our gift certificate business. I th- I still believe that business, has, I, from what I understand, has a decent gift certificate business. But our gift certificate business was out of control. And... It was it was cool. It was one of the most. Uh, I couldn't even tell you. It was. I don't. It was the fastest eleven years I've ever lived because that's amazing. It went by fast, man. And there was a lot happening, and we were everywhere, and we were wanted everywhere. I mean, I remember walking into a mall in Puerto Rico, and Puerto uh, Rico. Yeah, exactly. At a J, uh, you know, doing with the fro sh- or no fro. Uh, well, no. At this point, I was you know right. getting decent haircuts, <laughs> but I remember walking in front of a J.C. Penney's. I'll never forget this. And there was a little arena they built, and it was like packed with people all waiting there for me to show up on an El Salvadorian bar- uh, sorry, dentist chair. You don't even want to look at that thing. But I, I, me shaving, literally, you know. And there was no hot towel cabinet, so they had a microwave. And the first time I, first time I you know, lit, uh, hit the microwave to light up, all the, the, half the mall lost power. It was like the weirdest thing ever. But it was really cool because I was like, wow, look how, look, even in Puerto Rico, they know who the hell we are. They knew right. what grooming lounge was or whatever. And um, so that that's that changed. I mean, that was so as the years went by, I started perfecting the system, you know, training more people. So what I had happening was I would have guys come to me. uh, Hey, I have a barber shop on the corner of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King Avenue. I'm like, okay. I mean, one guy in particular when he he will definitely be listening to this. So he'll appreciate this. (laughs) And he came in and he's like, I've been doing this for 35 years. I'm tired of making no money. And people would literally stand in front of my desk because I had to write content all day and run a sure. website and do all these other things. They would stand in front of my desk on mannequins, on the walls, like Karate Kid style. I would make them do exercises mm-hmm. and then would teach them how to cut hair. And, um, and then it, the, the, 
the most rewarding part was watching these guys get on the floor six or seven months later, working four days a week, making a hundred thousand dollars a year being barbers. That was my goal was that, to make it. I mean, it was to make everybody six figure, six again, figure people. Once again, but, you know, going back to Instagram and with uh, some of the barbers that are out there, you know, you hear a lot of them charging, you know, a hundred dollars or one hundred twenty dollars for a men's haircut or for just a fade, right? Yeah. And that, that's just amazing that. Um, that, that the marketplace has changed that. that no, like you I mean, said, when you first got into it, people were charging $10 for a haircut. I mean, I, and that was the yeah. expectation. Now the expectation is so much greater than that. Oh, 100%. And I, I remember uh, even uh, being the, one of the first obnoxious people to charge, I don't know, it's like, you want a haircut with the owner, it was 200 bucks, 250 bucks. But guys would come in and would pay 500 bucks because because of the results we were delivering. Uh-huh. And and the more products that uh, solutions and more products we provided them, the, the more the retention went up. It was crazy. And so it was a system that worked. And but, and then people with women, you know, all these, my other friends who had their unisex salons or, you know, uh, salons that were primarily focused on women would come, hey, come teach, you know, come teach my staff, come teach my staff, mm-hmm. come teach my staff. But so would the system work? I mean, the system would work at any salon, right? The system, as long as you're disciplined, as long as you do it, as long as you practice, as mm-hmm. long as you're coached through it, 100% right. would work in any salon. Yeah, as, and as long as you have an open mind, yeah, anything could work. Yeah, but right. I, I know, like, from... Uh, the late 90s, where my clientele was probably 95% women. Today, uh, I say 40% of my clientele are men. You and know, you're getting just because men are so, yeah, f- so fashion forward nowadays. Yeah, and they, they don't, they don't want to just go somewhere and have their hair buzzed off. You know, they no. want to go, you know, they because you actually cut their hair with a pair of shears and they appreciate it and you right. shape it right and you do all these other great things and they appreciate it. But there was none of that out, uh, back then, you know, and so. What happened was, after several years of doing this, what brought the what brought our partnership or the grooming lounge or all this stuff? Other, uh, you know, what what killed us was our egos had gotten big. I think my ego had gotten pretty big. I think. I think I, it's fair. I think you know because of what was going on, and um, so we all had different ideas, and one of us wanted to open more stores. I wanted to create a shave club online. Uh, which like a I, dollar shave club, well, where everybody laughed at me back then and said yeah, I was I was stupid and crazy and whatever because I had I actually had uh, Brett Favre and Joe Montana uh, lined up ready to go doing an infomercial talking about shaving. I just thought it'd be the next uh, progression, and then you know we uh, ended up on Home Shopping Network and you know all these other things, just selling men's products. I mean, and we were successful a lot of the stuff. There were things that we weren't successful with. But so when you were leaving, what was your or, or, or before you left, what was your best year? Um, just retail. I tell you this. So in 2006, we were going to open in New York, and uh, my former like a brick and mortar. Yeah, my former business partner was like, "I don't want to do it in New York. It's too stressful. Let's go to secondary cities like Atlanta, Charlotte." Mm-hmm. We ended up in Atlanta. Everything was good, and then the financial crisis happened. I think that was 2004, 2005. Whatever, it crashed. Whatever. The whole thing. I mean, it, it just crashed. We weren't affected in the D.C. market, or our product sales weren't affected in the key markets, but in the southern markets, we were dying. I mean, we were, like, you get eat alive. And so um, what happened was um, we had to, you know, we went through two tough, you know, we went through all these other locations were killing the locations that were making money. So when I came back before I left the grooming lounge in 2009, our best year was 2000. We made up everything we lost. We just, so what happened was 2009 happens. On top of all this stuff, my former business partner calls me. He's like, you're not going to believe this. I'm like, what? He goes, Artist Shave literally opened across the street. I'm like, how? And he's like, they just opened. So we got all our team together. We had, a, we had a, quite a bit of people at that point, like 80, 90 people. 
and even our web team. We got everybody together and we said, listen, pretend, because one of the things we practiced every week, Corey, uh, was that we were, um, we're training every week, right. especially on the service stuff. So we're like, let's pretend we just opened. And so take the amazing service experience that we give people and multiply it. We'll kick the crap out of the artist's shape. They won't even, it won't even matter that they're across the street. No, go on offensive, right? So we started doing that. And, uh, and then we took all the clients that we, all the guests that we had. We're like, okay, let's see how we can grow their tickets without bringing on you. Forget about new clients that come in. Let's see how we can grow these people's tickets. We started doing that too. We made, up, we made back all the money we lost in Atlanta. Within one year, we made back all the money we lost in Atlanta. Wow. We, made ba- we made everything back. And it was, it was a joke because we were just writing each other checks, you know, because there was just so much cash coming in from this grooming craziness, and it just made sense. But then what happened was, you know, just like every other business, you know, you get to a point where, or a partnership, or, you know, it happens in a band, with bands and music quite a bit, you know, like one person has a different idea, another person has a different idea. And, and uh, you know, we weren't uh, seeing eye to eye on a lot of things. That's why all those boy bands, you talk about bands, that's why they separate, because yeah. everybody wants to be an yeah. individual uh, yeah, <laughs> superstar. Yeah, we were definitely a boy, and, and it, neither one of us wanted to necessarily be an individual. We, want, uh, we wanted to work, I wanted to work together, but... We had different ideas. I wasn't into. I didn't think brick and mortar was a good idea to continue mm-hmm. on, to. And uh, what I wanted to do was do this shave club or whatever. So we end up. It got ugly or good and whatever you want to call it. And then uh, we ended up, uh, you know, splitting up. And when we split up, um, you know, I was like, I can go and deal with all this stuff. And I didn't want to spend th- three, four years in a courtroom. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to write a book. So, so I went and wrote a book. Don't ask me why. On grooming. And uh, when I wrote the book, I would take it to <laughs> publishers. And publishers are like, guys don't care. Blah, 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 blah. I mean, I still have it. It's an encyclopedia filled with content. I produced it all myself once I got turned down by the third publisher. So I wrote a book. And I continued in the men's space. Out of, uh, but it was my ego that was talking. And as I continued in the men's space, I didn't know. I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go this way? Gonna... And so I started... Um, you know, I was like, man, I need to, a lot of brands are always coming to me. Hey, brand my thing, fix my thing, help mm-hmm. me with my brand. And I wasn't doing anything. I'm like, I'm not a consultant and I don't right. want to be, you know, I don't want to be, the consultants are these guys who come Do you think go, those people came through the growth of the grooming lounge or just your total experience? Uh, I would or? say credibility, reputation. Right. Uh, you know, we're in a small industry. If you sneeze in New York, they hear you in LA. Yeah, no and doubt. And the one thing I've uh, managed to do, and I tell people all the time, I'm like, you have, you have one, uh, you, have your, you have your reputation guarded with your life. Sure. You know, so um, never cheap out on anyone, never bullshit anyone, never whatever. Just always be, you know, just walk a straight line, you know. And so uh, a lot of these folks were uh, coming through. So then what happened was um, uh, a a cousin, a a family member, a second, you know, uh, a distant cousin called me and he said, um, hey, I want to, you know, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm doing this men's stuff and I don't know where it's going right now. The biggest problem I was having, uh, guys, was that I would go to, uh, to p- pitch my concept, for instance, and they're like, oh, you're like that grooming lounge thing. <laughs> so I, I created my, I basically set up myself to, uh, every time I'd go, it was like I was punching myself in the face because I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm kind of hindering my own success with right. what I created before. And the market had gotten very saturated, very crowded, and it's very difficult to sell men's products. The men's skincare in the department store does not make money. Men shop a different way. A guy doesn't walk into a store and say, hey, I have a blemish on my face. Can you help me? It doesn't work that way. 
So it was all through recommendations. So it was tough. So this distant cousin came along, and he's like, listen, I, uh, I have an idea. I'm like, what's your idea? And he goes, I'm tired. Tell me what's the problem in product manufacturing. And I said, oh, my God, you know, now you're talking my game. Because at that point, I never... Hey, hold, on, hold on for a sec, Bruce. So we are live on Instagram right now. We just got an Instagram question. Would you want to answer it? Sure. So here's how it is. It's from hairstylist underscore tribe, which I think they just wrote a book, actually, about the business of hairdressing, if sure. I'm not mistaken. But so the question is, has the speaking guest, that's you, Considered online continuity-based company for men like Shave Club, but better promoted and positioned in our industry. Definitely. There's a lot of line. There's, uh, to answer your question, what was the name of the handle? It was uh, hairstylist underscore tribe. Hair, like to said, answer your question, book, uh, hairstylist underscore tribe. To answer your question, yes, I've, I've looked into continuity. There is a lot of, uh, unfortunately, tricks with continuity nowadays because a lot of people have been bad in terms of product continuity, so the banks are a little harder on it when you're trying to sign people up. Uh -huh. The second thing is absolutely, the reason I came up with the idea of doing those shave clubs even during the grooming lounge time was to create continuity. Because as men, you know, once I like something, I don't want to go and buy it. I just want it sent to me. Like right. If I like the underwear I wear, I wear, I just want it sent to me. I don't feel like going to the store and buying it. Because think about it, men and women, we have different shopping habits. Women, women go out there and gather all day, and we go in and bam, get what we want and hunt. <laughs> in and, and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. You know? in and out. So, so definitely, I mean, I, we thought about it, but, uh, but when it comes to continuity, you know, it's, it's key for men. More questions. Social media, how to, how to book to get more clients in your chair. Oh, okay. Um, well, in terms of social media and in terms of uh, booking on social media to get clients in your chair, my tip is that, first of all, you have to have a good social media program. And you don't have to be uh, like my uh, uh, partner in crime, Philip Wolf, who goes like crazy with his social media. You can just be, look, as long as you're consistent. I don't know if you've ever, we were talking about cooking earlier. Yeah. Social media is like making risotto. It's like making rice. Once you pour it in, you can't stop. Otherwise, it's going to burn. Sure. So as long as you have a consistent, good social media program and focus on your own, on your own guests. Don't try to be everything to everyone. Start with your tribe, your small group there, there and then build. Start building from your for your own group. Offer offer tips, offer education, offer advice, things that you know that people are gonna appreciate because you're a credible source. Right. So going back, I'm I'm very good at picking back up where yeah, I you're was, awesome, yeah. brother. So yeah. but anyways, <laughs> I'm kind of lost. No, going back, going <laughs> back we to were. but anyways, going back to my so when my uh, uh, distant cousin and I got together, we decided to launch a manufacturing facility. Uh -huh. He wanted to do it. It's his, you know, it's his, it's his money and everything. So he's like, what's the problems in the business? I said, the problems in the business is that when somebody wants to create a product, they'll create a product, they have to go through 10 different channels. Before you know it, they're out of money, and no one helps them. So he's like, what if I create a facility where we do everything A through Z for people and take care of people? Does that include packaging as well? So you well, get no, well, well, packaging, but not you know, the other stuff that we got into later. Uh -huh. So I was like, dude, it would be a hit. And he's like, what if we hired the best people? What if we just did everything the best way? But yeah. he's like, what's the other problem? I said, well, the other problem is that when you're, when you're developing products, it takes, when I go into a lab and talk about something, six months later, three months later, four months later, I have my samples. It takes that much time. So it takes forever. That's a long turnaround. He's like, well, what if we did it in two weeks? What if we did it in two days? What if we were quicker? What if we beat every? And I'm like, let's do it. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited about this. I'm like, why? He's like, because, you know, he had a... a he was in pistachio. He is in the pistachio business, and he's allergic to pistachios. He's in gravel and cement. He's in gravel. He has I was going to say what or not, but right. That's a bad so poem. he was like, right. you know, I have a gravel and cement factory. I'm allergic to dust. 
uh, and so on and so forth. And then everything else, he's like, I, 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 he also makes light bulbs. He goes, I make light bulbs, but it's boring. I want to be around women, you know? And yeah. I'm like, well, there aren't that many women around in manufacturing, but <laughs> sure. So we started what's called, uh, he started, and I helped out, uh, what's called Happy Farm Botanicals, which is in Odenton, Maryland, which is uh, now he's building a new facility out in Heightsville, uh-huh. which is state of the art. It's amazing. And it'll be the first plant where you can make everything from aerosol to makeup. You basically make everything from uh, except ma- uh, makeup pencils or whatever. Um, so coloring pencils for the eyes or whatnot. So that started. When that started, um, at that point, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I was a little, you know, I, I, I was like, you know, do I go back into the, the professional beauty side of the business kept uh-huh. pulling me in. And I kept, mm-hmm. it's, it's like the godfather. Just when I thought I'm out, you know, they, <laughs> they pull, me pull back. you back in. So I, I was like, I don't want to deal with it. And I want to do this. And I was just wanna, I, I didn't know. So right along the time I was doing that, I, two things happened. One was that um, a guy comes into the factory and says, hey, I love what you guys are doing. I, got, I want you guys to build me a line, uh, design a line for me. Right. But I heard that that grooming guy, you know, that, that guy who did the whole thing in the grooming world, and he's on a, that kid's thing, and, and they're like, yeah, I guess. I heard he's associated with this. Right. I'll give you my business if that guy helps coach me, brand me, and take my product to the market. So they call me, and they're like, hey, would you be interested in this? And I'm like, oh, okay, sure, why not? Mm-hmm. And that one guy turned into two guys, Another brand, another brand, and it just started multiplying. So I had this, you know, nice consulting business, minding my own business. And then one day I see uh, on the internet, I see Wolf Bear. Wolf and, Bear. And I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, I look around, and I'm like, what is this? And I look, and it's my Philip. Uh, we all know Philip Wolf. Wolf. And I'm looking at it, and I'm like, what is he doing? You know, and I'm reading it, reading it, reading it. So I get in the, I, I link up with Philip and Chief, and, um, they're like, I told them, they're like, you know, why aren't you in the pro side of the business? I was like, well, here's what's happening in the professional beauty world, and here's why I think it's broken. And they're like, what's up? And I'm like, well, first of all, consolidation is killing everyone. And when I saw Philip and Chief, I was, you know, uh, wondering, I was like, you know, what, what are these guys doing? So mm-hmm. we get on the phone. We start talking about what's wrong with the industry. And I told them, I was like, look, through consolid- the, the, the consolidation has created expansion on the shelves. This is what these people are doing. They're, everyone's buying each other out. You know, private equity, you know, all these like bottom feeders have gotten involved in our business. So they're sucking the life out of the brands. There's no personalities. There's no all the stuff that we grew up loving and liking and we're excited about. They're all gone. And so I told them, I was like, this is a problem. And so uh-huh. this is happening. This expansion on the shelves is creating an extinction. And they're like, well, what's being extinct? I'm like, the stylist. It's kind of just eaten... Um, themselves eat, yeah, yeah. Eat, eat so each the indi- other. The industry's broken. There's something wrong with the industry. And I was like, it's, and I said, look, it's very similar to the NFL. When a guy is bad in one place, they hire him in another place, and they hire him in another place. It was just the same people being recycled. And the people that are running the corporate side of things have no clue, no clue as to what the hell is happening behind the chair. Right. You know, no, nobody. And so. They're like, well, what do you? And, and they were, they wanted to create a movement, and we decided to start working together on Wolf Bear. And so I hadn't gone to a pro hair show in a while. I mean, I realized I grew up in these things. Right. So I show up. Uh, another question. I show up, and uh, you know, and these guys were like, "Hey, everybody, you know, everyone's rubbing my head like I'm five years old." And he's like, <laughs> "He's got." He's like, "Everybody at these shows know you. At the show, know you." This mm-hmm. is in Premier in Orlando. I'm like, "Yeah, well, you know, they've known me since I was a kid." Where the hell have you been? Why aren't you? You know, why aren't right. you around? What everything? Nothing. Me staying away from hair shows in 15 years because I kept the grooming lounge out of that. You know, I didn't. I didn't want to compete against American. We were different. Right. Um, nothing had changed. Everything was the same. 
Except people were just were louder, bigger music, bigger stages. You know, the same same old, music, same, same music from nineteen ninety, same garbage or whatever. So I was walking in, and we were looking at this uh, booth, and uh, we were like, "What in the hell is this?" And there was people skateboarding and doing all sorts of stuff, and um, we started laughing at it. So it's myself, Philip Chief, and a gentleman named Pat Neville that I work with closely. He's a very famous industry consultant. And we were like, what is this? And they were like, oh, this is Peter Coppola. And we're like, why do they have skateboarders there? You know, so we sat there and we were laughing, 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 laughing. Mm-hmm. Until two weeks later, I get a phone call from Jane Morehouse, who's another industry uh, icon. Uh-oh. What? Nothing. What? Go ahead. No. So I get a call from Jane Morehouse. Uh-huh. And Jane is like, you know, I want you to meet the people from Coppola. And I went and met them. And I, what I found was a company that was in distress, a company that, you know, they had very lovely people, wonderful people, but really bad products, uh, really bad branding. It was very confused messaging. It was all over the place. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was perfectly fine. I was running my own little consulting business. And then they asked me to join, and I joined. So when you joined, did you pull out your rollerblades? I didn't pull out my rollerblades. Ride those ramps. No, they all. You know, I joined as a COO, and you know, and I'm not into titles. I don't really care about Mm -hmm. those things. It means nothing to me. I, you know, I'm all about uh, the uh, actual person. So I joined as a COO, and uh, and even though I'm not an op, you know, I'm not the. You can find a million people to operate a business. I'm more of a branding. I'm a branding guy. I, you know, I I I bring in a different skill set. So we started it, and you know, from there, uh, Peter Coppola, you know, we uh, as we started reformulating and redoing the whole thing, and Philip and Chief helped me because we were all working on Wolf Bear, and then we started doing uh, getting involved in certain aspects of it. Next thing you know, um, you know, uh, another product line comes along called Grow, and we take Grow on, which you guys is the mushroom ergothionin thing that I've told you guys about. Sure. And then, you know, Beth Minardi, and then so on and so forth. And so you're with Beth Minardi now, so you can't breeze over Beth Minardi, bro. No, we're not even breezing. I'm not even breezing over it. But the, the thing is that um, next thing you know, it's just it, it, it went from being Peter Coppola and turned into personal brands. Uh-huh. And, and I'm, you know, me, I'm very direct. I'm very honest. And I sat back, you know, even a good amount of time has gone by. And I sat back a little while ago, and I'm like, okay, now I'm at a point again in my life. And it's very interesting that we're doing this podcast because I think the ex- exciting part of this podcast is that the next time I'm with you, life could be different, you know, sure. in, in so many great ways. So I sort of sat back the other a few weeks ago, and I was reflecting, and and it and it's something that I encourage people to do. You know, I one of the things I tell people is like read as much as you can every day, reflect every day, you know, step out and reflect. It's mm-hmm. really important to have that thinking time. So I was reflecting. And when I was uh, having these reflections, I sort of stood back and I was like, okay, well, what is my legacy going to be the next 10 years? What do I want to do? And what, how can I make a difference? And what can I do to make an impact in the industry that I love? And so I was like, okay, well, I have these three things that I bring to the picture. One is I, um, I'm a good coach. Mm-hmm. Two is that I'm, I can brand anything right. and, you know, and market it and get it out there. And the uh, third part is that I was like, you know, I want to build, I want to develop, you know, I want to finish the start and finish the mission that Philip and Chief and I started, which is Wolf Bear. And so I, um, so now I'm at a stage right now where, um, you know, I've done every, I've, I've put my magic touch into personal brands. I've built mm-hmm. the, I've built the lines, I've built the formulas, I've built the library, I've set them up. So just, just for my own yeah. curiosity, so 
is personal brands is that the same as the manufacturing or is no. it is the manufacturing it, is called Happy Farms. That has nothing okay. to do with it. They just partner. So that's just work. where the products are made. That's so everything that happens before that or during that. The, is, the beauty of Happy Farms. Let me tell you the beauty of Happy Farms is that uh, again, if today you're working with any lab around the country, when you want to just try calling them, try to make a change in a product, try to get something sent to you within 24 four hours or 48 hours. Right. Try to work with someone who's not going to shove 15,000 items or something down your throat. Who's willing to go to bat with you. So that to see if your concept is viable, right, and you could, it could be proven. So um, that's what Happy Farms does, which is great, which I promote. And I, you know, besides it being a, you know, I'm connected to it through family, I just think it's a wonderful tool for people. Sure. Uh, personal brands, though. Personal brands is a family-run owned business. It's owned by the Davidson family. Uh, Pat Neville is the CEO mm -hmm. um, who I work with, and uh, it's just a great family business that has mul it's multi-line. And the Davidsons are wonderful people because the Davidsons really care about they they're just good people that um, they're just great people. I don't I don't, I don't know how, I don't know how to say it. it's very hard it's very rare that you meet pe owners mm -hmm. in in this business like those folks. That's awesome. How many brands does Personal Brands carry now? Uh, or represent or we however have, the we, So we have, uh, we have, uh, we're lined up to do anywhere from five to six. Currently, mm -hmm. the, right now, the three that are active that have hit the market are Peter Coppola, the mm -hmm. new Peter Coppola, which is the Empowering Beauty line, uh, which we talked about here today. Right. Um, Grow, uh, the Daily mm -hmm. Vitality Boost, and Beth Minority. And like mm -hmm. you said yourself, Beth Minority on its own is like having three lines, man. No there's, doubt. <laughs> there's a no lot doubt. involved there. And She's Beth, got long arms in this industry, Yeah, right? and Beth is, uh, you know, um, Beth is, um, again, someone who, in a short period of time, helped me change my work style. Uh, you know, we banged heads a little bit because you got mm -hmm. two creative people. Sure. But, uh, you know, somebody I respire, uh, sorry, I, I inspires me, but I'm, I admire a great deal. And I think so, we all do. I yeah. mean, we're, we're all of that age where... She's a legend. She's a legend. Yeah, she's you know, legend, you yeah. talk about legacy. You know, she has hers, and that's just pretty amazing that you that you're working with her. No, so I now. mean, so so that I think I gave you a short. Uh, I tried to make it as short as possible, but that's that's my life, man. Right. <laughs> 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 and today I'm here with Ashley, and you know, doing some training, and you know, having Hi, some Ashley. fun. Hi, Ashley. We want to thank fun. her again yeah, for you allowing again us for to having yeah. us in the salon and letting and us. Uh, look, I mean, the, the most rewarding part of all, like to see her success, is just. You know, that's it, pretty. Amazing. It inspires me to go out and do more. Right. Absolutely. Well, Mr. Pruse, I'd like to thank you very much for joining us on your day off. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Please do me. So there it is. We also want to give a special thanks to Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Sarah and Blaine allowed us to use their music that runs under the uh, podcast. It's called Pleased to Meet You, which I thought was only appropriate for our podcast. You can find Pretty Gritty's music on iTunes.